Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Let's Run Track Talk. This is your fearless host, Robert Johnson, Let'sRun.com co-founder. And today I'm joined on the program with two very special guests, Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson, live from London. Good morning, gentlemen. I guess I should say good afternoon to you. I've got some good news and bad news for you guys. Which do you want to hear first? Uh, bad news first. The bad news is, Jonathan, I don't know if you realize it, but as of Wednesday morning, we are halfway done with Worlds. But the good news is we've still got half to go. It's been a great first half, so much excitement, but we're really going to focus on what happened last night, drama both on and off the track. So let's start with the big one. America, the men's best butt for a gold medal. An American-born male has never won a gold medal. In a, mid, in a middle distance or distance event in the history of the World Championships was dated to 1983. Yesterday in the men's steeplechase, Evan Jager entered the race as the betting favorite. The Olympic silver medalists have been having a great season this summer, and the Kenyan Olympic champion, Contessos Caputo, had been injured and not finished a race since June. Many people thought Jager could win, yet when it was all said and done, Jager did get a medal. Um, the first America's first ever medal in the steeple at Worlds, a bronze medal. But in my mind, that's a little bit disappointing as Caputo came through yet again over the final 300. He got the gold, and the young Moroccan, El Bacali, is that how you say his name? I believe, got the silver. Um, guys, I'm not going to lie. When I was watching that race, I was expecting gold. And I, first of all, before we dissect the race, I want to thank God that you did not do what I told you to do on the podcast yesterday. I remember fans. I urged them to take $1,000, excuse me, 1,000 pounds of Let's Run's money, hard-earned money, thanks to your many clicks on those annoying message board ads, and place it down on Evan Jager to win. And it's my understanding that you guys went for a run after the show, didn't have time to go to the betting power. I imagine Weldon probably wouldn't have been dumb enough to do that anyways. But uh, thank you very much for saving my bank account. Um, hopefully, John will probably be able to fly you home now. We'll have enough money, so that's a good thing. But um, I was expecting gold, and I wanted gold. And I was like, when the two guys went by him on the backstretch, I was like, well, maybe he's just resting. He's going to – he's a very good hurdler. Maybe he's going to slam this water jump. And then when he came off, I'm like, nope, he's settling for bronze. But um, he, uh, the thing that surprised me about the race was how excited Jager was afterwards. You know, I haven't watched the interviews on Let's Run. Was he really happy with bronze, um, John, or was that more of an act, do you think? Well, I think, Weldon, you want to take this one since you did the interview in the mix zone with him? Yeah. Um, so, Jager was disappointed not to win, but um, happy to get the bronze. You know, those may seem a bit um, conflicting, but that's how he was. You know, first he said, I'm a little disappointed I didn't come away to win, but I'm happy I stayed in the top three and got in the podium. Then Elliot Denman, the longest-standing track rider here, he's an Olympic race walker, but he's been coming to these things for 50 years. He pressed Jager and he said, are you a little bit disappointed or a whole lot disappointed? And Evan said, I'm still happy I got a medal. I'm, it's just a little bit of disappointment. Um, and sort of, we went to the press conference as well, and the same thing. And the press conference is pretty impressive because uh, consensus said the same thing there that he told John, you know, uh, 
one-on-one, or not one-on-one, one-on-many. And that's, uh, you know, he thought Jager was going to beat him, and then essentially last night he's like, no, I'm, I'm the only champion. I'm going to figure out a way to win this race. And it's pretty interesting the relationship that Conceslas and Evan have because Evan sort of has the utmost respect for him as a runner. He thinks Conceslas can run 48 seconds for a quarter. He knows that it's a slow race. He's going to get beat. Yet at the same time, Conceslas has a lot of respect for Evan. Um, it's also, you can just see the greatness of Conceslas because the way he just talked about the race, he said, I just decided I was going to stay with Evan and then outkick him the last 300. When you hear it, it sounds stupid and too easy, but that's exactly what happened. And we may we may have another Ezekiel Kimball on our hands is the other thing. Um, one great Kenyan great retired last night, Ezekiel Kimball, who'd won nine world titles or nine world medals. His final steeple was last night. He didn't get a medal, but we had we when it's all said and done, it may be hard to get more than nine medals. But Conceslus, if anyone can get more than Kimboy, it's going to be this guy. Yeah, I mean it's it's scary to think we were looking up. We're like, wow, Kibruto's been around for a few years now. You know, he was the silver medalist all the way back in 2013 in Moscow. The guy's still only 22 years old, which is just, you know, if you're Evan Jaga. You know, t- tonight was your window. He wasn't quite, Kibruto wasn't quite 100%, and he still kind of blew his doors off the last 100. And if you're Jager, you're just going to be thinking, you know, man, what do I have to do to beat this guy? And is he going to be around, you know, for the next 10 years, just like Kimboy was around for the last, last 10 years? And Evan actually was, he was, we were asking about this after the race, and he's like, yeah, no, I mean, do I have to get into 745 shape and lead the whole thing from the front? And I don't know. I mean, he might have to actually get – he might have to get in, like, 750 shape to do it because, you know, he tried to leave the last mile, and I kept thinking, like, he's got to open a gap on El Bacali and Kipruto. If they're still on him at the bell, I mean, I know Evan's been closing races. He closed well at USA's, but he won that Monaco race because he was able to start get, getting some separation and dropping those guys, but – Kipruto and El Bacali are better than anyone he faced in Monaco. So I just think, you know, I was worried that he hadn't broken them uh, by 300 to go. And at that point, Kipruto took off and it was, it was kind of game over. And Robert, you know, you said that Evans settled for bronze. For everyone watching the race think, thinking the same thing, um, when Bacali and Kipruto went by Evans, they're like, okay, maybe he can rally. Maybe he's saving something for this final water jump because I think he's got the best form in, in the field. Um, and Evan said, look, I think I did, you know, I took some of the sting out of the legs. They didn't just completely blow by me. And I thought, okay, I'm with him on this last water jump. But then he said he was tired and he went over it and he, he just didn't have it. So then, um, he kept going to the finish, but you know, his mind shift then was on the bronze, you know, it wasn't before the water jump it was afterward. He just sort of, he, you know, you can sense what your body feels. And fortunately, he held on to bronze. I mean, if he gets fourth, this conversation right now is we're super depressed. It's sort of very arbitrary sport, but also, you know, even the awards, usually it's the winner. There's a winner and a loser. But in this one, third place is so much better than fourth place. And uh, Evan said he looked up at, at the screen um, and wasn't sure exactly what he saw. He thought maybe he was in third and fourth. And he thought maybe he was looking at the wrong guy. So he glanced over his shoulder. And uh, um, what's his name? McKeezy was closing like a freight train behind him. So fortunately, he held him off and uh, got the bronze. 
And, you know, when Evan's talking about being 745 shape, some of you guys may not know, the world record in the season was 753. So essentially saying, like, I don't think Evan thinks he can ever run 745, but, you know, I'm going to have to be in world record shape. Maybe I can beat him. But, you know, Evan, he's a total track geek. He studies this stuff. Um, he comes on Let's Run. And the other thing he said is, like, look, maybe El Bacali will realize that he can't beat Prudhoe in a slow race, and essentially we'll have to work together to try to beat him. Um, so it was an interesting race. It's not the one Evan wanted, but for the first, we had an American favorite. You know, we, we've gotten a lot of medals the last few years, right? But it's been one gold. I'm not mis- no two goals because I'm not mistaken. Um, Jenny Simpson in Central last, last year, but you know Central was, was was maybe a pick for a medal last year. Simpson's win was just totally out of nowhere. But we've never had somebody come in as the favorite, and who knows? You know, we may never get that gold medal. Uh, for, but it was a nice different situation to have. And the other thing Evan said sort of off-camera last night after the press conference was, I said, hey, you know, the Olympic champion was essentially up there saying he thought you were going to beat him. Does that make you feel worse or better? And Evan's like, well, one part of it makes me think, oh, I should have won even more. But the other, he's like, overall, I feel better when I hear that. Because when I started running at this level, I wanted to get a medal. And I wanted the top guys to respect me. And both of those things have occurred and it's pretty cool just to see how much respect they have for Evan. So disappointing night in the results, but I don't know, the sporting event, right? Until an American wins, wins one as the favorite, we'll, we'll keep hoping for it. You know, yeah. I think even Alan Webb was never favorite of world. Yeah, good stuff. And that's a good point. I mean, I, when I said I was disappointed, that was more for me as a fan and <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, Jager's a much run guy. Maybe he's listening. So, you know, I'm happy with the bronze. And I don't want to end up like the British media, you know, when um, Laura Muir doesn't finish, immediately the BBC starts questioning her tactics. It's very easy in hindsight to say, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that when something doesn't work out. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I did that. My first thought, I thought, well, why didn't he just wait to the last lap and try to blast another 56? But if he's worried that Trudeau has 48 second speed, I see why he doesn't do that. And also, if it's slow into the last lap, you know, I, 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 I well, Ezekiel Kimboy faded. I, I give him a lot of credit. He ran as hard as he could for a medal, and he stayed up there. He was the fourth guy up there until the penultimate lap, and then he faded. And once he couldn't medal, he didn't really care. But um, you know, whereas the eventual fourth placer and the guy who, who, you know, thankfully did not medal, the two-time Olympic silver medalist Makishi Benabad, he ran in my mind a cowardly race both during the race and after. I mean, I. I I, I almost fell out of my chair. I got a call from you guys. You said, guess what? There's been a protest. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Don't tell me the French protested again. And you say, yep. <laughs> Unbelievable. They, again, if you're not familiar with the story, last year, the French, in the middle of the race, he noticed one that Ezekiel Kimboy stepped on the white line on the water jump. In the middle of the race, he realized it. In like lap two or three. And so when he's coming in for fourth, he starts pointing three because he knew that he would eventually get the Kimboy DQ'd. And last night, apparently Jager did step on the line as well, but the officials did not DQ him because they claim it happened on a straight part of the water jump in the second lap and not the um, on the second water jump. 
and not the curved part. So you can step on the white line as long as you're on a straight part and don't get an advantage. So crazy stuff by the French. I mean, come on, people. Give me a break. But um, I tried to go back and watch it, but, it, you know, both the BBC feed and the NBC feed, I guess and that's sort of the international feed, cut to the pole vault to that point. So nobody – there's no video of that that seems to be broadcast live. I wonder if the IAAF feed on YouTube might have had it or not. But but craziness on that. Um, so, you know, anyway, I, I said that I didn't want to become like the British media, but I, I do think it's like – I don't want to fault Jager for different tactics, but I was looking at his splits, and if Jager's a nerd, he may be doing the same thing. You know, I was comparing – the splits here in this race were very similar sort of to the USA race, except, you know, after four laps, they were almost identical. Um, they went like 36 and then 67, 69, 67. I mean, there was like one or two laps that were off. The big difference here is that Jager started pushing a lot faster on like the third to last lap. He went 62 last night versus 69 at USA. And then he went 62 last night again on the penultimate lap, 63 at USA. But then he made it all up at USA's by going 56-7 versus only 64. So that 64 to me was a little disappointing. I mean, when he ran that eight flat falling in, um, was that Paris or Monaco a couple years ago? Paris. Paris. You know, he closed there in 64-5. But I, I, I've estimated that he would have closed in about 62-5, 62-8 if he hadn't fallen. So admittedly, you know, and the time is a lot slower today. Now, one thing that's a little bit, you know, misleading here is the close in this race was very fast. I mean, even the last 2K was pretty fast. They went 243 on the second kilometer, 238.6 on the last kilometer. Whereas in Paris, the last kilometer was only 242.2. So he was running faster on the last 1K. So, you know, you wouldn't think, so, you know, maybe, but still, you know, in Paris, when he was running that race, I mean, it was a rabid race and he didn't have the emotional energy and stuff like that. You know, he was, I guess you could say he didn't make it over the hurdle, but he was basically going to close in sub 63, you know, whereas I think last night, um, Caputo probably only closed in about 63. So I'm not convinced. It'll be interesting to see if Jager goes forward from this runs, you know, one of these diamond league finales and tries to break eight and what kind of shape he's in, because it needs to remember, you know, while the Kenyans don't appear to be in as good a shape as they were maybe in years past, Jager had a slow start to the year. Remember, he opened up only at 343. So we think he's in fantastic shape, and he's run 801, but maybe he's not quite in the same shape, type of shape that he was in 2015. But again, you know, all in all, it's the first steeplechase medal ever in the history of the world for an American, so we can't be complaining too much. And, uh, John, we're halfway done. Your prediction is correct. Uh, we have gotten more than two medals already in the, for the U.S. Uh, I have been negatively predicted only two. So I think Jenny Simpson's got one. Amy Craig's got one. Jager's got one. That's three, right? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that adds up to three. And now, I mean, I predicted that's exactly the number I predicted before the championships, but we've still got half events to go. We've still got R.J. Wilson on tap. We've still got Paul Chalimo on tap, you know. I think uh, between those two, I think at least one of them gets another medal. So we could be going up to four. And uh, then you've got Centrowitz as well. And actually, you know, um, let's run preview of the 1500. I picked Centrowitz to medal in that one as well. So, uh, and the Coburn in the steeplechase, that's, you know, she's unlikely to medal, but uh, she certainly, it's definitely not impossible. She is the bronze medalist from the Olympics last year. So, 
we could be seeing uh, several more medals for Team USA in what has already been a pretty successful meet uh, from the distance side. It's too bad, though, that I don't think I'm going to be at the meet. The rest of me, we haven't talked about the 400 meters yet. Robert, do you want to change the subject here? I'm, uh, you know, I think we've discussed Evan to death here. There's some other distance races, but yeah, well, Isaac McQuall barred from running 400 meters yesterday. I think it just makes the sport look like a complete joke. Um, so I can't think well, of any other instance where an athlete's been barred from competing in an event because he was sick. So you said you're not going to be at the meet the rest of the meet. Is that because you yourself are sick, or you're going to boycott the meet and protest? No, that was, it's more of a you know tongue-in-cheek joke that I'm going to boycott, but. Um, hey, you know, if I get sick, they'll probably bar me. It actually makes sense to bar journalists, but an athlete, there, I'm sure, yes, there is some public health concern, but he's walking around town. He's going, he's not, he's not quarantined in his room. He's meeting with the BBC. Um, if our sports can be taken seriously, it needs, it needs to behave like a serious sport, and that means letting the stars compete um, as long as they want to compete, unless there's legal reasons to stop them, and there was no legal reason. It's a travesty for sport. Wave and Kirk, a tremendous athlete, the future, the face of track and field now that Usain Bolt's retiring. He needs he needs a rival. Could have had one last night, and instead the fans were deprived of that because I don't know health concerns. Yeah. Um, now, in all fairness, we said we never heard it. Sebco, head of the IWF, told some British journalists we didn't hear this. We heard this third hand um, that. He was barred from competing in the 1986 Commonwealth Games because of a virus. But, you know, full details of that are not yet. But if that happened then, it was a mistake. It was definitely a mistake last night. I didn't, you know, I didn't hear people were sort of going back and forth on what he told to the Botswana. I don't care what was told him. He should have been allowed to run, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, an outrageous development in my opinion as well i mean i was on the message board i, I knew that mccullough wasn't going to start the race someone had said that he was going to be a dns you know in, in early in the afternoon in the u.s and then i went to the message board and people were like the iwf is corrupt they're preventing him from running i'm like what are they talking about and then i you know started going around and called you guys and, and and was shocked that he was being i mean there's a video we had it up on the website of mccullough being barred from entering the stadium and, and i couldn't believe it and you know, first of all, you know, there's a thread of message board. People like, can can let's run, not understand. And we started a protest and said free McCall and asked people to retweet and stuff like that. But people are like, can someone on the message board is like, can let's run, not read the, the British health, you know, regular recommendations. They were clearly following protocol. And I'm with you, Wells. I don't care. First of all, it's a recommendation. It's not a law. It wouldn't have been against the law to let him run this race. It's not like they're, you know, barring people. It's not against the law. It's just a recommendation. And uh, I, I just think you have to understand, you know, if this was like the bird flu or HIV or something and, and it could be spread, yes. I mean, but this is an illness where you vomit a little bit. Give me a break. It, it, supposedly, because I was watching the BBC where, you know, some of the, the Ugandan officials were denying him. Um when you guys get a little background there, noise I can hear. Oh, sorry about that. Well, I was, what I was just looking up is Isaac McWalla. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's never medaled in a major championship. That might have been it for him. That was He's never been in better shape. That might have been his only chance to get a medal. He's going to be 32. 
uh, by the time, actually it'll be 33 by the time Doha rolls around because he's born in September. So I just feel, I feel awful for the guy, you know, that was his shot to take on the best. Was he going to beat Manny Cook? I don't know. I don't think so, but I think he definitely would have meddled. If you broke 44 seconds, you meddled in that race. So I, I just feel awful for the guy and he might not ever get another chance at this level. And think about the money that it cost him. I mean, I'm sure he's got shoe bonuses, but he's a guy, you know, not from a Western country. He lives in Botswana, so his sponsorship is way limited. Um, he could have really emerged as a star here, trying to do the 200-400 double. Now he's going to leave with no medals, um, no prize money, and, you know, for a 30-year-old 400-meter runner from Botswana, your future earnings are pretty limited. So I think it's a travesty. I really do. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, interesting in the sense of interesting in the sense of like, I don't believe in the, in the conspiracy theories. Kind of I think that's one of the ludicrous theories ever. I just think that they're trying to. I don't know, follow like bureaucratic protocol. You know, I don't think that, first of all, Van Nieker is a big enough star, but I mean, come on. I just think that's a, a ludicrous thing. The thing that surprises to me, if this story comes out, it's true that Subco was banned from competing in the Commonwealth Games, you know, 30 years ago. You think he, of all people, would be aware of it, you know, or would be, would be, um, you know, super sensitive and make sure that this guy's competing, you know, and I don't know. It's just a, a pretty shocking story. If you're just joining us, and we do have some live well, listeners, um, just, we're happy to finally get this broadcast up live, working technically. Uh, this is Track Talk Live host Robert Johnson. I've been joined by guests Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Galt for live from London. We spent the first, uh, you know, 18, 19 minutes talking about Evan Jager's medal, and then now we've moved on to talk about the 400 controversy. Isaac McQuala barred from the final, supposedly because he's hurt. I mean, because he's sick. Yeah, Robert, I'm going to jump in there for a second. Um, you were talking about conspiracy theories, and, uh, you know, that made us think of something funny that we came across last night. So uh, we ran into Paul Doyle, who's the agent for Andre de Grasse, and we were talking to him about a few things um, after the meet. And then, you know, I think Weldon brought up the de Grasse situation, and, you know, what do, you, what do you think about this conspiracy about Puma paying him off to, to miss the meet? And we were like, well, it's pretty ridiculous. But then he proceeds to, with a straight face, tell us about all the details of how it actually went down. And he's saying, you know, yeah, they have, first they offered us 1.5 million to skip the 100, but, you know, we weren't really sure about that. And then we were like, yeah, yeah, I don't think we should do it. So we did that and they threw in 500,000 for us to skip the two as well. And so, you know, with two, that's two million total. So we're like, all right, that sounds like a good deal. We'll do it. And as he was really messed up, like I said, with a totally straight face, I'm thinking in my head, like, this is totally nuts. Like, this is not true at all. But he was doing a pretty good job of selling it. And so he just stands at us and, he, us and we're like, okay, this, we're not insane, are we? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, I was totally making all that up. But the fact that he, he's just like, look, the guy got hurt. He's one of the best runners in the world. This is the world championships. Why in the world would he not compete at the event he's been training, you know, 12 months for? His last shot to beat Usain Bolt. Why would he give that up? Because 
yeah, he's already well compensated for some Puma conspiracy theory. It's, it's ludicrous, but I don't know. People like to speculate. Yeah, and after the fact, it's always easy. It's always better to just create a conspiracy theory. There can be so many conspiracy theories. You know, it's easy just to believe what you want to believe. I mean, one of the things we were talking about earlier was Consuelo Caputo's age, and I think you guys said he was only 22. And I know that I'm sure some people are thinking, yeah, Kenyon 22. But I'm not denying that age cheating is, is a, um, a problem in Kenya. But one thing I meant to say then, but I, I couldn't chime in quick enough, was no, they're not all age cheats because, you know, Edwin Kipagod, who won yet another medal in the marathon, she's been competing and winning stuff at the world junior level since 1996. So, I mean, that's when I was in college. That was 21 years ago. So unless you think she was, you know, 10 years old in 1996 and winning, she's got to be in her late thirties. So, yeah, you know, I mean, look at, look at it. Well. Well, people it doesn't always have to have some crazy conspiracy theory. The one that I want to believe in the McCullough, my first thought was when he was being barred, I was like, well, he must've tested positive. You know, he's had a breakout year. This is a guy that used to compete always well in Switzerland, but never a world, you know, but now it's just, you know, kind of become a, he said, she said, in terms of, you know, what did he tell the thing on the BBC they're talking about was, yes, he vomited as he was going to the stadium to run the 200 prelims, but he, the doctors claimed he also said he vomited the night before. He says he did not say that. Um, so, you know, it, it'll see what, I mean, I guess, you know, to be honest, hopefully we'll see him in the 4 by 4 And Botswana has a good shot there. I mean, the U.S. has not looked good in the 4 by 100 Fred Crowley was way back. The only finalist for America. Botswana, if Amos runs on it, has a legitimate shot at the gold medal. And to be honest, the U.S., like, I think, you know, Brits and stuff, these smaller, you know, these countries don't have as many medalists as America. They're always rooting for the Brits. Sometimes I'll root against American. I'm obviously a proud American, but I think it would be amazing if Botswana won that gold medal. I think it would be the perfect ending. Um, and I think in some ways controversy is good for sport. Um, it's going to create more interest in that race for sure. So it would be an amazing story if, if they could win, you know, the gold medal. Um, but let's talk about the other mid-D final because – you know, sadly, guys, we're not going to have another middle distance or distance final until Friday. So we've got to get some prelims out of the way. We're going to have the um, people chase gets going this afternoon, the men's 5K prelims. Um, we do have a couple finals, women's 400 final, women's 400 hurdles final. But there's no, there's no distance finals until this women's steeplechase, I think, on Friday. So, But last night we had the 800 final. And really, um, in the end, I mean, uh, Bosse of France, 25-year-old who has is very credentialed. I mean, fourth at the Olympics. He's been fifth at the World Championships in the past, seventh in the World Championships in the past. He's won 142 in two different years. Um, he ends up as the gold medalist. So uh, seeing someone with those credentials winning isn't a shock. But what was a complete shock to me was how middling and mediocre that race was. I mean, people have been struggling you know, all season. Rodisha was out. Emmanuel Career doesn't make the final. Donovan Brazier doesn't make the final. There was only one guy in the final who'd run under 144, only three that had run under 145. And to win the gold medal in a race that was basically rabbited out in 50 high by, by Brandon McBride, all you have to do is run 144.67, and you win by, you know, almost three-tenths of a second. Amazing. It was completely blew my mind. And I think it blew Bossy's mind. I mean, he pointed to himself when he finished, and there were some great quotes after it was all over. He said, it was like a dream. It's, 
Here's a direct quote from Bossy that you guys, when you talk to him, it felt like a dream. You know when a nightmare, somebody's going to catch you, but they never catch you, you know? You know the end. Finally, he never be caught, and I was not. So I knew the end before it ended. What a great quote. I mean, um, fantastic running by him, or solid running by him. I mean, he had only run, um, you know, 144 coming in, still that's always run, and now he's a gold medalist. If you broke 145 in the race, you got a silver medal. Adam Schott closed well and got that. And then Kip Yegum bet wins bronze at 145.21. I mean, he was so mediocre that Kyle Langford, who's only broke 146 three times in his life before last night, got the fourth place by running 145.25. So crazy stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the thing I was struck by, uh, first of all, Boss is an incredible interview. I mean, he had, he had a line you said, and then he also compared himself to a witch, casting a spell over his competitors over the last hundred, which is why they weren't able to come with him. And he was also very candid. You know, they, and one of the AF representatives asked him about Radisha's absence and, you know, whether Radisha would have won that race had he been in there. And Box just said, you know, I'm not the best of the world. I just want to race on the right time, that's all. And, you know, that's kind of what happened. Like he, he ran great last night. He did it when it counted. So all the credit to him, but boss had not won a single race all season heading into this meet, including his two prelims. He was second in the first round. He was a time qualifier into the final out of the semifinals. And somehow he's your 2017 world champion. And I think, you know, you guys have been dissing the quality of the field. And I think some of that, some of that's fair to a degree. Like, you know, some of the top guys were not 100%. Some of them weren't even in the meet. Look at, you know, Rudisha and Clayton Murphy. Actually, McCluthy as well. All three medalists from Rio won here. But, you know, Adam Schott, I was talking to him afterwards, and he's another very interesting guy and has some intelligent stuff to say. And I was asking him, someone asked him about, you know, just the race, basically, and he was saying, you know, tried to defend, you know, the quality of the field and saying it's really hard to medal two straight world championships, no matter how tough the field is. And he said, do you know how hard it is? No people did it before having two medals in world champs. People hate 800 athletes because it's such a lottery, such a gamble to run to win, to be a medalist, to fight for finals, semifinals. Everything, every little step, well prepared to be in such a position and to be such a lucky guy like me. So I think, you know, all right, yeah, this wasn't the strongest 800 field with the team, but surviving those rounds is very tough come out and deliver again on the championship stage with the pressure on is very tough. I think, you know, you, you look, we had Americans, three pretty good Americans. None of them made the final here. Um, Bridge is one, but he didn't make the final. I'm not trying to diss him. I'm just saying like some good guys didn't make the final this year. And uh, I give a little credit to them, even if, as you said, it was, you know, this probably isn't as good as the field was in Rio or the final was in Rio last year. Yeah, I love Shot's quote. I mean, I, I thought it was th- – that's, to me, why the 800 is really my favorite event in track and field because it is a lottery. It's very hard to make the final when they go from 24 to 8 and only take the top two. I really think they should actually do something different. I, I just think it's, you know, maybe you know, have two they or ten. Two top three, take out of the final. Yeah, they had nine lanes in London, so I don't see why they couldn't have done three from each heat. And have even, nine if they have, even if they have eight lanes, have some to share a lane, but most of the world – Track yeah, I didn't think about taking top three. I was thinking doing maybe like a 20-person semis and just do two semis somehow, make it harder to get to the semis, but then 
you know, you could take top four and the next four, you know, next one or something. You know, Sherilyn, but um, you know, it, it was, you know, a crazy thing. You know, the big disappointment in that final for me was the world leader, Nigel Amos. I mean, five years ago on the very same track, he ran 141 as an 18-year-old. And people just assumed that the, the event, you know, that he would be a big player in the event. And he's been, you know, on the scene. He's run 142 a couple times since then. But in, in we've now had the 2013 World, 2015 World, 2016 Olympics, 2017 World. That's four more World Championships. And he's, last, he's won a grand total of zero medals. So very disappointing. He, he fades to fifth. He's in the top three throughout. Um, I, I just... I don't know. Even when, I guess he does win on the Diamond League circuit sometimes, and he just seems to be wasting so much energy. But to me, this is the second big star. He's a global star that decides, you know what? I'm going to pull a Mo Farah. I'm not happy. Not really Mo Farah. Mo Farah came to the U.S. as sort of a mid-wing pro. I mean, I guess he had broken 13, but he wasn't nearly as good as Nigel Amos and Stefan Hassan. But two of the sport's top African-born runners, Stefan Hassan and Nigel Amos, have decided, you know what? I'm not happy with where I am last year. And I give him a lot of credit. It's not easy to move across the world, across the U.S., go out to Oregon. And this is the second person to go out to an Oregon-based team, a Nike-based team, and just completely not get what they wanted in this world. When it came in, think, everyone thinking, okay, they're probably going to win. If they don't win, you know, they'll definitely get silver, you know, bronze, and they end up with no medal. Alberto Salazar coach, Safan Hassan, went for it big time, and, and, and the women's 1500 does not medal. And then Amos here you know, finishes fifth, and there's just no way of, of sugarcoating that. It's disappointing for sure for him. And, you know, I, I was in the quick take that I wrote on an 800 recap on the website. I was like, I think he just needs to learn to relax and run in a pack. And I was urging Mark Rowland, <laughs> taking it upon myself to give him the coaching advice, uh, which is a little presumptuous of me for sure. But I was like, look, I would just have him run in a couple college races, like, a 150 college race, just run in the pack, not even try to win it. Just run it for, you know, 600 with the pack in the middle and see, get used to running around people. Cause he flails his arms. Maybe it's hard for him to do, but get where he can just relax. You know, that's one thing I, I think that Bossy, if you watch the replay of that race, you know, he just stayed on the rail all the way for the first 500. There was no wasted effort when they were coming up to 200 bet and Amos were, were pushing their arms out and trying to get in a good spot. And boss was right there too. And he realized, okay, they're going to fight for it. I'm just going to settle in behind him on the rail. And then he got to run two turns you know, on the side. And then he made a huge move at 500 to go basically from sixth or seventh all the way to first. And he got the lead. So he got to run the last turn you know, on the inside. So he didn't have to run any extra ground, really didn't have to do any fights. And I always say in 800, you've got one move, use it wisely. And he ran that race tactically to perfection. Um, and you know, has a gold medal as a result. So really exciting stuff. Um, for those of you joining us late, we're still going live. This is Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson hosting Track Talk Live. And we, I'm joined by uh, my brother and co-founder, Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Gold, who are both in London, England. Um, gentlemen, have you guys gone for your run? Uh, it sounds like you guys have been pretty faithful in your running. I have not been. My world championship is making it difficult because i got to get up early for the podcast watch the meet during the day, you know, and then at night I've been watching some baseball. So, um, but have you, have you guys gotten, gotten a little jogging yet? Um, it's getting serious because tomorrow is the media 800 meters. 
so I can't reveal too much information to John. You know, we're competitors. Um, we did go out and do a workout the other day, sandbag it. You know, it got dropped in every single interval, sadly. But it's actually raining today. It's been raining for a couple of hours. Um, well, actually, more than that. I don't know. It's been raining since I woke up, and I've been up for three hours. So do the math. You can tell what time I woke up. Hey, when you're up to 3 or 4 a.m. writing, it's fine to sleep seven hours. Beautiful thing with this World Championship is no morning sessions. I think it's better for fans, better for, for fans in person and on TV. So we have a little more free time. But no, we've not run. It's raining. I may even rest up. I need to didn't sign up for the Nick Willis training program. I, I don't know. I need a coach to tell me what to do the day before race. Yeah, and really the weather, I mean, they say it's summer here, but uh, it doesn't really feel much like summer. Right now it's, I think, high 50s and raining, which, you know, I'm not totally motivated the day before my biggest race of the season to go out there for a, a hard run. So, uh, has either but it's really cool. Starter in 400 or when it caps the press conference. Yeah. Inside. No, uh, everyone's been complaining about, like, was- Alan Abramson had a winter cap on. Athletes in the mixed zone don't want to stay there very long because there's this windy drop that comes in from the stadium, so they just want to leave. I've had multiple people say that to me. Uh, Emmanuel Courier was actually wearing two singlets. He was wearing one underneath the other. What? Two identical Kenya singlets, and he's just like, hey, it's cold. I'm not used to racing for the t-shirt in this weather. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not – not great. Weldon, though, was seeing the phrases during the day yesterday. He's like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, I'm just going to move here. Like, it's not hot like it was in Texas. And then last night at the meet, he's complaining. He's like, oh, should I, I don't know if I'm even going to stick around to watch Jager's race. I don't have a winter coat and something to watch it with. So he changed his tune once it got uh, a little bit dropped by, by maybe five degrees when we got to the stadium. He did stay to watch Jager's race. Nigel Amos got no excuse because he trains in Oregon. That was actually one thing. Some of these guys from Africa really are not used to cold weather. And yeah, so Kippy on bet said he'd never raced in weather this cold. Yeah, Kippy on bet acted like it was winter. Um, but Amos said, you know, after the semis, he's like, we're okay, how's the United States going? He's like, oh, great, except for the rain. So Oregon weather is pretty The sad thing is he probably thinks it's like that everywhere in America. I've never understood why. The Oregon Track Club, they ought to relocate you know, for most of the year and just move to Eugene for, like, the spring season. Well, do we have anything else we want to touch on? I mean, Oh, yeah, definitely. I thought something I thought was a technical difficulty. I couldn't hear anything for a second. Um, I was thinking this may be crazy to put you guys on the spot right now, but... And I don't even have a list of everybody, so maybe we could do it just handing out grades. I mean, I, it's more controversial, but, you know, that's what people like nowadays. It's controversy. Um, why don't we give a grade to the top U.S. finisher in all the mid-D and distance events? I'll start. Evan Jager, the men's steeple chase. I mean, he won a medal. And um, I guess I'm a harsh grader. So C is fair, good, B is good, and A is excellent. I'm going to say C+. Plus. I mean, I was expecting a medal. He delivered a medal. That may be harsh. It's, it's you know, this is like a C plus at, um, I was going to say Harvard, but Harvard has such terrible grade inflation. So like a real school would actually grade people on a curve, like maybe Cornell Engineering or MIT or science school. Okay. They actually give out real grades. So 
So I, I would give Avon a C plus. What about you guys? I give him a B. I mean, anytime you get a medal, I think that has to be considered good, no matter how good you are. But obviously, you wanted to win, so I can't give him the A. I'd say B is fair. I mean, yeah, we're critical of him, right? But like, at the end of the day, Kipruto brought his A game, right? I don't know how. I don't. I honestly don't fathom how he actually did it because he didn't well, work out. But I, I don't believe he's great. Albacall, I thought Albacall could conceivably beat Jager to begin with. I wanted to get. Jager B minus, but reality, like, the more I think about it with John, like, not terrible, man. Like, it's a world championship, you got a bronze. So, I'll give him a B. I'm thinking B minus at first, but. I, well, I'm going to go on the record here. I don't believe that he hasn't not worked out. I mean, maybe he hasn't done like a track session, but he's got to be doing tempo runs or something. I mean, I think when they consider it to be a workout, they probably mean track session? I mean, come on. There's no way you jog around. So that's, yeah, that is what he said. I mean, he, well, he said everything else he'd done was jogging. He said he hadn't been on the track. We didn't know specifically about tempo runs, so it's certainly possible he included that. Okay. And I, I've also, I've talked to, you know, some people within the sport, and I think they said that occasionally um, some of the Kenyan athletes might sort of sensationalize what they're doing or what they're not doing, maybe get in the heads of their rivals a little bit. Um, I can't speaks to whether that's true in the specific case of Kiprudo. Obviously, the ankle injury did affect him as he dropped out and then, you know, scratched from some of his races. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he may have been doing some tempo runs, but he did seem pretty adamant he had only been on the track. One serious workout and then one aborted session when he got to London. Maybe they wanted to affect those betting odds, man. Loaded up the truck. They're, they're the ones who probably loaded up the truck at Patty Power. I want, that's a good point because, I mean, his odds were like five to two. I mean, half. He won his semifinal heat. He's second in the world. He's the reigning world, third in the world, second in the world this year. He's the reigning Olympic champion. Somehow his odds were way down. Maybe, maybe Patty Power's reading much on that con. So, all right. So we've given, you know, Jager B to C. I, I, you know, I think most people are giving him B. Um, women's 1500. I mean, I don't even know if there's any reason to get out of grade here. She's, Jenny Simpson's got to get an A. I would give an A plus. I mean, I think it's absolutely perfect performance, but. Um, a plus is, is reserved for a gold medal, but brilliant stuff there. Does anybody disagree with my A? Ranking? No, I think you nailed that one. Okay, men's 800. Actually, I was going to say Donovan Brazier, but he, uh, yeah, well, he actually was the top U.S. finisher. Technically, he is the 12th place finisher. Isaiah Harris is 17th, and uh, Drew Wendell is 14th. They all went out in the semifinals. But for if I was going to give them Grades, I'm going to give um, – I mean, making the final is, is difficult, but I'm going to give Brazier a C-. Um, I, I just – if he had run well in his heat and gotten third and sort of was on bad heat and didn't make the final, I would have been fine with it. But I just sometimes feel like – I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the horror days of watching Steve Holman blow it in a U.S. championship – like he, you can see him coming off the final turn. And he just doesn't have it. Like I don't know if it's. I feel like sometimes I, I can just I can tell with 150 meters to go whether he's going to blow that last 150 or not. You know, blow it in a good way, like blow it out. Um, so that was really disappointing to me. He didn't make the final. He's young. I think he's getting good experience. I I do like the way he's handled it. I like some of his comments in the post race interviews. But um, you know, I'll give him the C minus. And, and and I think Wendell and and Harris. Um, you know, actually, going into the semifinals, they had two of the top ten times, which shocked me. 
But for them making the semifinals was it was a fine performance. I, I both give them B's, B pluses. John, do you agree? Looks like we've lost John and Weldon. We're back. We're back. We're back. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just giving out the 800 grades. I gave uh, Brazier a C minus, and I gave uh, Wendell and uh, Isaiah Harris B B plus. Do you agree with those? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. I would maybe upgrade Brazier to a C just because making the 800 final is very difficult, but I don't think you can give him a B. Whereas the other two, yeah, I mean, I think making the final was going to be pretty difficult for either of them. I thought both. I thought Harris acquitted himself pretty well out there. He just, you know, it wasn't quite good enough. And Wendell, Wendell didn't run a great race in his first round, but he ran the race he needed to in the semifinal. He just... Uh, he just wasn't good enough to make the final. And I think that's, you know, there's nothing you can do. If you're a 144 guy and you're facing 143 guys and they run better than you, that's that's pretty much it. You know, I think, yeah. so I think that's, I think those are all fair grades. Uh, Weldon, do you have any disagreements or does that sound right? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the CBB, but all three of them, I think, are kicking themselves right now because they get in that final, they got a shot at a medal um, for sure, Brazier. Wendell, the way it runs, could have pulled a... Oh, right. Thanks for, and I think, oh, right. thank you. Remember on our previous podcast, I think Wendell could have the medal. I mean, people I mean it's crazy. And, you know, you may not even... For a guy like anyone in the U.S. 800, the ranks are just crazy good now, right? Like, those guys made the team. We're thinking, okay, they may make a final. They may even... You make that final last night. I think all eight guys thought they had a shot at a medal, considering Kyle Langford almost got one. Um, but... Making the U.S. teams, they're not easy. Think of these two guys, Boris Berrien, Clayton Murphy, and then Brazier. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Am I missing one? You got those three guys, and you got, then you got Wendell, and you got Isaiah Harris, who's still in college. Like, these guys are super young, and they're all very tremendously good. Um, so you get few opportunities, and we're talking about Jager's a student in the sport. It's clear that... Um, Donovan Brazier is as well. He broke down that field and said, look, like, Emmanuel Career is out. Radish is not here. Uh, who else is out? Oh, Murphy's not here. And he was, you know, he knew he had an opportunity to pass by not making that final. We could have, we could have left with a like, gold medal or silver medal or bronze medal. Then he doesn't make the final. Um, I guess, you know, it's sort of the arbitrariness and beauty of the sport. Yeah, and you know, I hope that he is, you know, a um, a student of the sport because, you know, one thing I was thinking about was when I watched Brazier sort of struggle and not make the final, and and this is John may get mad at me when I use crazy comparisons, but literally what what jumped into my mind was David Radisha. I mean, Radisha was a big stud, and the rap on him for a while was you know, can't win the big ones. Um, you know, he had never medaled until he won gold in 2011. You know, this is despite running 144-1 in 2007, 143-7 in 2008, 142-01 world record in 2010, 141, I said, yeah, 2011 is when he got that first world title. So, um, you know, he struggled at some of those worlds. 2009 Worlds was the biggest one when he went out in the semifinals. 
Um, so, you know, having disappointment at your first world is not a big, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a learning experience. I mean, in 2009, David Radisha, um, you know, he won the Kenyan trials and, you know, didn't do well at Worlds, you know. But after that, he went 142.01. So he was in fantastic shape. And two, two, less than three weeks later, he ran 142.01 after not making the championship final. So hopefully Brazier goes out and runs some fast times and, and, and learns from this. Um, heading out, again, our grades, if we go now to the men's 10,000, top U.S. finisher, Tittature, 2707. Ninth sounds bad. 2707 is incredibly good. I mean, where is he now in the U.S. rank? Is that number three? Number three, the only guys foster are uh, Chris Zielinski and Jalen Rupp. Um, so, I mean, so he's got an AA was handed out immediately, A? Yeah, there's the one thing, though. I, I give him an A. But if you talk to him, in fact, if you talk to any of Scott Simmons' guys, they're not satisfied with being, you know, ninth in the world. Or Cabene lost night in the steeplechase. He was fifth. And... Guys, mentioned anything that Americans They're they're already talking about like, you know, I asked Shadrach Kipchirchia, so you ran twenty seven oh seven, like that's a huge PR for you. You're number three all time. Like, are you happy with that? And he's like, well, I don't know, it's okay. I, I you know, I wanted to get a medal and I didn't get a medal tonight. And you know, he's like, I look at twenty seven oh seven. Well, Galen Raps run twenty six forty four. You know, so I'm really not anything compared to him. And the world record is twenty six seventeen. So. You know, these guys, they shoot so high, and I, I really give them, you know, tremendous credit for aiming high. Now, sometimes I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it was a realistic goal for Shadrach Kipchirchia to medal in that 10,000 with the, you know, African talent he was facing off against. But they're not afraid to go for it and fail, and even if they go for it and don't get there. I mean, Kipchirchia was there for a long time, I think, until about two laps to go. He runs an incredible time, and... You know, if these guys keep training for more years, I mean, I certainly, at the start of last year, there's no way I would have said Paul Shalima. I would have, if, Paul, if you said Paul Shalima, his goal is to medal at the Olympic Games, I would have said, all right, how about he tries to, you know, make the U.S. team first? I think that would have been a surprise to me. So, you know, I, some of them, will, will they all hit their goals? Probably not, but some of them might. So credit to them for aiming high. And But still, I still got to give Kipchirchir an A because I didn't expect the time that fast from him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, they, dream by dreaming big, you know, it certainly helps them. I mean, yeah, Tolima would have laughed at you, and he's getting Olympic silver. So good job to those guys. And then the last event we haven't handed out the grades to is the women's 10,000. Um, you know, the top finisher was Emily Enfield. I mean, she medaled at the last Worlds. This time she gets lapped. That's the bad news. The good news is she was six. So, I mean, competitive in the placing. Actually just missed the top non-African-born honors. Um, Susan Crimmins, who used to be Susan... How do you say your last name, John? Kiken. Um, Susan Kiken. Susan Kiken at Florida State was actually fifth. Impressive because Susan Kiken, remember, she won the NCAA 1500 meter title. That's how good these people are. You know, you see people like Jordan say who have NCAA meters, you know, 1500 mile speed, anchoring DMRs and stuff like that. You see them as pros. They're running the 10K in the marathon. I mean, it's crazy how good these women are. You know, so she ran 31 20 24 versus Enfield 31 20 45. Huddle was right there behind the four seconds back. So if I'm giving Enfield a grade, I mean, there was no way she was going to get higher than fifth. Um, I mean, Alice Alpha was 31-11, but Alice Alpha had run, you know, under 30 minutes. 
um, the, the placing would definitely be an A, but she shouldn't be losing to Kreitchen, I don't think. I mean, Kreitchen's run well this year. Kreitchen, she's run 14.53, so she ran a PR. I mean, that's better than infield's PR, but I would give I'd give infield a, I mean, I don't know, a B plus B. Oh, I, I give her an A minus. I mean, she, she ran a PR. She got sixth at Worlds in an event where you know say B plus. some of the top women are absolutely incredible. So I think I don't know. I think A minus is a fair grade for for Emily. What would you say, Weldon? Hello. Can't hear him. What's he saying? He's on a C plus from Weldon. Okay. Um. So if you are just joining us, we're still going live. This is track talk let's run track talk robert johnson here from lovely baltimore maryland it's a somewhat cloudy day but uh weldon and jonathan galt are in london where it's raining um we've got a couple of live people there's one guy who's called in se pennsylvania if you want to call in if you want to ask a question um i could let you do that so i'll come back to you like in a minute if you want to come up with a question i'll unmute you if you don't want to say anything you don't have to say anything if you want to chat in the chat box we can let you do that but looking ahead guys we've already won three medals team usa how many more are we going to get in the middle distance and distances we've got the 800 women 1500 men steeple women 5k men and 5k women i'm going to go god i'm seeing two total for the whole thing so we've already done that I mean, I think I always thought in my two was included with A.G. Wilson, so I've got to go with one more there. I'll bless him a guarantee. You could also win one in the 500 men, and there's a chance in the steeple women and steeple 5K. So, I mean, 5K women, I mean, yeah, excuse me, steeple women and 1,500 men. So um, that could be, out of that, if we take half of each, that could be two more. It's either going to be one or two more, I think. I'm going to say 5K men too, though. I'm going to say two more. I'm going to go two more, five total for the U.S. Yeah, um, I'm in total agreement. I think that Wilson gets one. Um, and even if she doesn't, you know, you got Sanchewitz, like I said earlier, Sanchewitz, Coburn, uh, and Paul Chalimo all still to come. I think the combination of those four athletes, two of them, at least two of them will, will get medals, is my opinion. And, yeah, yeah, I think I was going to mention – I, part, part of me wants to wonder what Robbie Andrews could do in the 1500 final. I mean, I I know that running down some of the best guys in the world is different from running down, you know, best guys in the USA. But I think Kiprop's not on. He hasn't been on his game so far this year. Uh, Centrowitz, you know, who, who knows if he's in the shape that he was last year in Rio. I don't think he's in quite that shape. Still might be a good enough shape to medal. But if Andrews is there, I, I've learned never to count that guy out. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if he got a medal. So it would obviously be an upset. Yeah, I'm sure he's full of confidence after his 150 time trial. Only kidding. I've actually heard through the grapevine that, that uh, Coach Vigilani is working really hard and wasn't expecting much in that 1500. So, you know, they really, you know, all season before USA's, his results were mediocre. And every time I would talk to Coach Vidge, he would say, we're training for August. We're, you know, we're training for the middle of August. So, you know, it's like Jenny Simpson. If you're training to peak here and you do it, hey, anything's possible. My medal picks before the championships began, obviously, they didn't change. Manigore for gold. Cherry out for silver. 
And I'm going for a white face for Braun, not Centrowitz, although he's biracial, not Andrews, but Philip Ingebrigtsen for Braun for me. Um, so it should be exciting. All right, I'm going to see if Southeast Pennsylvania wants to say anything. Um, Unmute him. Hey, Rojo. Yes. Hey, Rojo. Uh, just on Isaac McQuala, I only caught part of what you guys were saying, but it's a total travesty that he wasn't able to run. I mean, norovirus is, is not a very serious thing, and it's just it's, it's a total shame and a farce, and it's unbelievable. I only caught part of what you guys said, but um, I just can't believe it. And, and I have a hard time being a serious fan when they're just – Barring people who have diarrhea from running, I mean it's unbelievable. <laughs> so now, are you a medical expert, or did you just like sleep in a Holiday Inn Express last night? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm no. Uh, my wife is a doctor, actually, but uh, I mean, you know, kids get this. Like my daughter gets it. Like she's in daycare. I mean, you know, to bar someone from running in a stadium who's gonna contend for gold is just unbelievable to me. I mean, what else are they gonna do? And your point about would they do it to Bolt or Mo Far is, is totally on point. Like, no way they would prevent those guys from running if they had a virus. Like, give me a break. Yeah, good point. Yeah, for those of you who know what he's referring to on the message board, I said, you know, some people wear those, what would Jesus do? Basically, I said, we should ask ourselves, what would we do if this was Usain Bolt? And I think that he would be running. I was hoping there'd be some sort of protest or the other runners would walk off the track or it just. Uh, I don't know. The, the the problem with this is, and it's a larger thing for me in the sense of, it's like, and this is the kind of the whole reason why Let's Run exists. Let's Run exists because we want to promote the sport of running as a competitive running as a competitive sport. You know, it's not a hobby jogging thing. It's not a fitness thing. It's a professional sport, and so many people do not do that. And to see that sort of happening at the highest levels of the sport, at the IAAF level, which is supposed to be like the NFL, it's like the governing body of professional aspects of the sport. Like they're basically, or, or maybe it's UK, you know, medical people, they're following the guidelines. They're acting like this is like a fun run. And they're not acting like this is someone's livelihood. This is someone's, the biggest moment of their professional life. And, oh, you can't do it because you had diarrhea 36 hours ago. It's completely ludicrous. And it's the same thing. I mean, you could tie this into so many different things. To me, it's like it almost ties into like the whole Castor Semenya gender thing. It's like, oh well, we have to let them compete. You know, you know. I was, even Michael Johnson was saying to the BBC, well, he's like, there's no winners in this situation. I agree in the Castor situation, there's no winners. But it was like, you know, she has to have a right to compete. But yes, she has a right to compete in the local park or in the open division, but not necessarily in the women's division. We have a special class of women. And we have to understand that, like, this is a competitive thing. It's not just, you know, kumbaya, hold hands. This is people's livelihood. It's, it's you know, it, it may not be fair to Castor, but it, what's fair to the other competitors, you know? And here they did the opposite. They, like, screwed one guy completely over for no real valid reason. I mean, I, you know, if you bar Castor or make them get hormone treatment, you're at least protecting the 50% of the population that's competing in women's athletics. Here, you're really helping no, no one. What are all the fans in the crowd going to get sick because some guy has diarrhea in lane three? And you break. So, good point, Southeast Pennsylvania. Um, uh, do you know Mike Rossi? Is that where Southeast Pennsylvania is? I was afraid you were Mike Rossi at one point. No, I am not. Uh, I'm near Harrisburg. Uh, very good. Well, thanks for, for listening and 
chiming in. Anything else you want to add? Uh, maybe curious from Weldon and Jonathan if, if any athletes are talking about that or what, what the sense is from people on the ground there. Well, I think we asked Fred Curley about it, and Fred Curley is probably the worst person in the world to ask about it because he's not a great interview. Um, he essentially said he stayed off social media. He didn't know anything about it, uh, even though, you know, McQual- I don't know if he even noticed McCall wasn't in the race, but did you hear anything from Van Niekerk Weldon at all? Yeah, the, I don't know if we published the press conference yet, but sort of at the press conference, uh, they kept asking Van Niekerk about it. And he said, oh, it's a travesty when somebody can't compete because of injury. And then they're like, hey, this wasn't an injury. He was sort of barred from competing. You know, it's different. And Van Niekerk said, look, best. I want to compete against him. He's like, I will give him my medal. And then he sort of laughed and said, well, actually, I want to keep this medal because um, my mom said anything that happens under my house, she keeps. So she's got my two Olympic medals. So I don't know if Wade Manifert lived at home until this year. <laughs> I want to follow up on that. But I was like, this is unbelievable. But, uh, you know, he, he sort of, he gets it. He wants to beat the best. But what's it, you know, I think also, though, you know, he, he didn't know all the details that he showed up at the track, or maybe he knew some of them, but, you know, he he said he saw, I think he said he spoke to Isaac the day before during the 200, you know, so I assume they touched each other, and he didn't get sick and get the plague, and, you know, that was the crazy thing, because he was at the track the day before. So the way it went down was, though, um, he sh- would have been able to compete, essentially, like, but he had to go to the IWF the medical doctor to get cleared to compete for the 400 since he pulled out of the 200. You can't pull out of one event and compete in another without a medical reason um, once you're injured past a certain date. So they went to the medical guy and then the medical guy's like, oh, you, you've got, you've got, what's it called? Notavirus? Norovirus. Norovirus. You know, you can't compete. And then it spiraled out of control from there. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about journalists are really pissed, in my opinion. I don't know a single person who sort of was behind this. Um, you know, either our sports serious and the best get to go at it or not. This wasn't some like, it's not some high school competition, right? It's the world championships and any other sport, the guy goes out there, gives it a try, it's considered a gamer, it gets a lot of press and publicity. Instead, you know, some doctor you never heard of rules that were deprived of essentially one of the best sprint matchups we we're going to have at this thing. The 200 is like a, you know, looks like a complete joke now. Somebody was saying they should let, um, I, I thought this was a good compromise, let McQuall run the 200 semis. Just put him in there. Okay, good luck with that one. I agree, same thing, but, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we, we need to, like, there's nothing we can do. It's just done. Um, I don't know. So the um yeah I mean it's just it's weird about the sport. I mean in some ways it seems like they're just enforcing these rules like being such sticklers on every little thing. And this is just a recommendation from UK Health. It's not even a rule or a law, but it's like okay you step on the line in the steeple chase Olympics and you boom you lose your medal. I mean there's no common sense involved. You know, I guess I'm happy that they somewhat do that in the 200s because so many people just, where, where would you draw the line on the 200? So I guess in the steeple, I see that. Can't let people cut in line. But the shot put, there's like, you know, you just 
two really questionable fouls, at least one, particularly with Krauser. And, you know, the whole acknowledgement of, like, a gold medal can be life-changing for some of these people. Um, you know, I, I believe, you know, I heard a story earlier in the year from somebody who um, a guy didn't make the U.S. team, cost him $80,000. It sounds like, how could it be $80,000? But some of these teams, you know, people have contracts where the bonus is $20,000. It's a bump up of $20,000. That lasts for the last of your contract. So if you've got another two two years. So, um, you know, a gold medal, if you don't win gold, you get sixty grand for gold, and then you might have a $60,000 bonus for two or three years. It could easily be $200,000 over the next two or three years if, if, you know, you're prevented from running. Now, probably some of them, but Toronto doesn't have that type of contract, but still. Yeah, we, we've got an update. Actually, the BBC has an update on uh, Makwala. It's pretty interesting. He's sort of a bit in the conspiracy theory, but uh, got a BBC co-uk slash sports slash athletics. And, you know, essentially he's saying, you know, there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory in there. But one of his quotes is, the British would would never have allowed it if it was Mo Farah, Wayne Rooney. So, hey, maybe he saw let's run. But um, then, he, then he kind of pointed out what you said, talking about money, Robert. He said, in Botswana, we have to pay to train. This is not like Britain. I feel this has been a waste of money and training. So, and he also said he would, thought he would have run the race, would have won the race. Um, it, it's just terrible. And as you, yeah, you know, a thing, lot of money to stake here. I mean, I feel like think about Ryan Krauser in the shot put, how much money he lost. 60000 for winning. You can at least double that for bonuses, possibly more. Um, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. In the case of McClaw, say he wins it, beats Sammy Kirk, like, think how much sponsorship that's going to get in. It's, it's just upsetting. Um, the IWF on their part saying, we freed up the competition schedule to allow this to happen. Specifically between these two athletes, but allowing the opportunity to double at 200 and 400. Um, I'm sure they weren't thinking of McQuala at all when they did that. McQuala, you know, this is the part I don't like. There's something fishy that they did not want to tell us. It's not that I was sick. There's something more to it. How can I just look at you and say you were sick? If they had tested me, I would not have been the problem. To me, I don't care if he's sick and he has norovirus. I think he should still be allowed to make the decision if he wants to run as long as he's not legally quarantined in his room. So I, I, I don't even think he needs to go there. Because then you're going to argue over the facts. Like what the idea of told him, what, what they didn't tell him. He should have been allowed to run regardless. I mean, I, I feel like these public health officials, like they're always worried about some pandemic, bird flu. I mean, when I was coaching at Cornell University, we had a meeting one time, and the athletic director wanted to let everyone know that if the bird flu got big, they were going to use the ice hockey rink as a morgue. I mean, they already planned this out. You know, if, in the morgue? Yeah, as, if a thousand people died That's, in Michigan, oh the morgue were overdone, they were going to put the bodies in the ice hockey rink, and we needed to all be aware of this. And it's just like they, they you know, so a lot of people get sick. They're worried about it. it. It's embarrassing to them. So they think it's the hotel and it's food poisoning. It's not. And then, you know, there could be some sort of subtle racism here. Some of them Africa sick. Oh, my God, do they have a bowl or something? And it's just... It's so disappointing. It's absurd. It really is. And but also, I mean, when you watch the BBC guys, they had this one physio guy and then one team official. The team official reminded me of whatever African team official is like. They're kind of just some bureaucrat who really shouldn't be there. I mean, even the U.S. team officials, I'm like, you really just criticize them for stereotypes. 
Yeah, I'm stereotyping. So I, all just people who like barely know anything. But I'm like, you know, it's just, I feel like it is different. If this was a UK athlete, if this was in America, you'd get an injunction immediately from a lawyer. I mean, it would be hard to do, but you'd be able to figure out how to do it. You know, I, I guess here he tried to go in the stadium. He only had like an hour, but it just was awful. And to me, if I'm going to hand out an F, I want to give an F to NBC Sports because as this was all happening, the interview, Subco, and neither one, Craig Masbach or Rick Allen, asked him a single question about McCullough. Now, it's possible that the interview was taped early in the night, but it was still during the night. And I'm just like, how can you not do that? They only mentioned it on NBC, like right as they're lining up. Like, oh, McCullough, lane six or whatever is empty because McCullough has been, uh, you know, he's sick. And they sort of explained it. I mean, come on. This is the biggest story of the game. And to me, I mean, honestly, like, it's crazy. But it's things like this, these stories that scare people who, from, like, wanting to have universal health care. Because they're like, we don't want bureaucrats deciding things with arbitrary rules. You know, it's a rule that has a good intention. But for this person, it's, like, screwing them over big time. So we'll see if anything happens, you know, I imagine the IWF will give them some sort of monetary compensation or something, but um, we've had so much fun recapping the first half and then looking ahead to the second half. We've spent over an hour. We probably should call it a day. So Southeast Pennsylvania, thank you for joining the show. Good to have a caller on. We'll be doing this live each day, at least Thursday until we have morning days. So definitely tomorrow. I think it might be a morning session on Friday. Is that race walks or something? Hopefully we can get Friday too. But anyways, um, for Weldon Johnson, Jonathan Galt, this is Let's Run's Robert Johnson. Thank you for joining us on another edition of Track Talk, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Thank you.